For AL.com, I'm Ben Flanagan. This is Outbreak Alabama, stories from a pandemic. Again, I try to reassure them the best that we are able. And I tell them, you know what, we're going to do everything we can. We're going to take great care of you. Uh, We're going to be there for you. And we're going to do everything we can. But that's a hard thing to have to tell a patient and tell a family. It's hard. Today we hear from Dr. Jenna Boyd Carpenter a pulmonologist and intensive care physician in Gunnersville. Dr. Carpenter recently shared an emotional Facebook post describing what she has seen as COVID numbers spike in Alabama, including younger patients hospitalized in what she has called, quote, a truly heartbreaking week. She said Marshall County hospitals have lost several patients under the age of 40, with the average age admitted to the ICU in the mid-50s a change from the previous peak in the winter of 2020 when many hospitalizations involved older people or those with underlying conditions. Alabama added 4,023 cases on Tuesday. The seven-day average for new cases is now 3,641. Since March 2020, the state has recorded 641,386 cases and 11,832 deaths. 33 were added in the last day, with 2,631 people hospitalized. I spoke to Dr. Carpenter about why Alabama hospital staffs like hers are exhausted, why she is emotionally drained from treating COVID patients at the end of each day, and what it will take for people to finally trust medical experts and get vaccinated. I know that moments before you joined me, you were seeing patients today, and I just wonder, has today been a good day? You know, we, we have had a good day. Um, my, my two partners, on the other hand, are not having a good day. They are both in the COVID ICU, and it, usually the way we operate is, is I have two partners who, who I want to mention because none of this would be possible without the help of Dr. Jeff McCartney or Dr. Chris Manganaris. Those are two of our other pulmonologists here at, at Marshall Medical uh, Center. Uh, and those guys are fantastic. Um, you know, we, we have literally all pulled together to support each other. Uh, but uh, Dr. Manganaris and Dr. McCartney are not having a great day um, because they are in the COVID ICU today and I am in clinic today. But I do know earlier that Dr. McCartney was having issues with a critically ill COVID patient in the ICU. Uh, Dr. Manganaris has had similar things going on at the other hospital. Unfortunately, us being a small hospital, I'll be honest, Ben, we, r- we run out of room a lot quicker than the bigger facilities do. Um, we don't have as many beds. And then that, that does hurt us. We have 12 ICU beds at our South Hospital. Um, Every one of them is full. It's a complete COVID ICU unit at this point. The other hospital uh, right now, because of staffing, we're actually only able to operate six out of those eight beds. Uh, And that's the other thing I think that's not getting out there is the medical system, like everybody else. You know, we, we go down the highway and you see now hiring at every, you know, almost every place you pass, you see help wanted now, now hiring. Unfortunately, we are no different. We lost people the first go around back in December and January that honestly took a career change. They said, I can't do this anymore. 
So unfortunately, now with a surge of patients, we are also doing this much less staffed than we were back in the peak of things in December and January. So, you know, we've we've had our moments here. Um, We've all had to work extra. We've all had to work overtime. And Dr. Magnaris, Dr. McCartney, all of them have pitched in with that because, you know, each of us has had a weekend or so we, we were supposed to be off. And we've come into round because the patients were too sick and, you know, we, we needed extra help because it, it was too much for one person to do. So it, this is still very, very real. I've had a better day uh, because I have been just seeing patients in the clinic today, but I've heard again, what's going on in the hospital today. And um, yet yesterday they both shared some stories with me and um, it's just, uh, it's real. I mean, it is just absolutely real. And the problem is I don't see this slowing down anytime soon, which, which tremendously worries me. But the, like I said, these patients are younger, they're sicker, and they seem to be getting sicker faster. And it's, it's just quite disturbing. I wonder if you could please explain what you do as a pulmonologist and intensive care physician sort of day to day as it relates to COVID? Sure, sure. So um, like you said, I I am an ICU physician or intensivist is kind of the other uh, term we use for that. Basically, on a daily basis, what we do is we are going to be taking care of any patient in the ICU that is on a ventilator. We are the primary ones that manage that with making adjustments on that ventilator as needed. We are going to be the primary person that is responsible for managing that critically ill patient. So as a pulmonologist, which is, which is lungs, our focus is lungs. You know, uh, some of the more routine things we focus on, of course, are asthma, COPD, anybody with shortness of breath issues. Uh, they come to us for workup for things like that. We also help assisting with diagnosed lung cancer and things like that. That's kind of on a routine basis what we do. Uh, And then we manage critically sick patients in the ICU. Primarily where our role is coming in right now is with we are taking care of the sickest of the sick COVID patients. So we are, again, primarily responsible for their for their management in the ICU. We, we're doing any kind of procedures, uh, such as putting specialized IVs in called central lines for a lot of these patients. Uh, we are the ones actually uh, with assistance from our anesthesiologists that have stepped up big time to help. We are the ones that are that are actually intubating these patients uh, and putting them on the ventilator. And I kind of mentioned that in, in my post uh, about that particular portion about if able, we've been trying to let these patients have a a FaceTime moment or or at least just a phone call where they can hear their loved one's voice. Because unfortunately, Ben, when we know it gets to that point that they are sick enough to have to go on the ventilator, still the outcome, I'll be honest, is is not good. And it's really hard knowing in your heart of hearts that this is probably going to be the last time that that they're able to speak or see their loved one. Um, and it's uh, had, to, had to do that a couple of times last week. And um, it was just it's truly heartbreaking uh, seeing the patients, you know, the families with tears in their eyes. Uh, the patients are sick. Sometimes they're not really able to talk a whole lot. That's that's a moment I will never forget in my in my medical careers, having uh, conversations and things like that. Well, I want to ask you about that. You've said that you've held so many hands that you've had FaceTime calls with families before you put patients on ventilators because you know that it will be the last time they see or speak to their loved one. You know that. 
people who aren't in your line of work, I just don't know how we could possibly understand what that's like. But if you could put it into words, like how might you do that? Just having this idea of the outcome when you put someone on a ventilator, that's obviously not an easy part of the job. That's true. I have always, always, whatever situation I'm dealing with, with my patients, uh, a lot of times dealing with the sick patients that we deal with, it's not good news that we have to deliver. That's a tough part of my job. I don't particularly like or don't like at all having to tell a patient you've got lung cancer. In situations like this, I really don't like having to tell a family that they're more than likely not going to make it. With the situations we've had this week, a lot of times the patients ask me, is this going to help? That's a really hard question for me to answer because I know medically with everything over the last 18 months, we've seen Still, when we get to the point that we are progressing to getting on a ventilator, you know, I I couldn't give you the exact numbers, but there is an extremely small percentage of patients that survive and are able to recover and uh, come off the ventilator. Uh, And that's still the case all this time later that, that we are seeing that. So that is one of the hardest questions I have to answer when the families or the patients look at me and say, am I going to do okay? Is this going to help? I try to be very honest with them in a gentle way. And I just, and and like I said, this is the toughest question probably of all to to have to answer to these folks when I have to look them in the eye and say, there's a very high chance after doing this that you will not survive. And I'm going to tell you right there, that's, that's gut wrenching to have to tell somebody that again, I try to reassure them the best that we are able. And I tell them, you know what, we're going to do everything we can. We're going to take, great care of you. Uh, We're going to be there for you and we're going to do everything we can. But that's a hard thing to have to tell a patient and tell a family. It's hard. Yeah, I I can't imagine. And and again, I'm I'm just very sorry that you and your colleagues are having to do this and, and with the volume that I'm sure you're having to do it just due to COVID. And just to refer back to your note that you posted, You've said that you've come home and that you've sobbed in the shower because you were just emotionally worn out. And doctors obviously have so much experience with these life or death scenarios and witnessing and relaying the news of tragedies that impact families. But how has COVID changed that for you? Why is it so much more emotionally draining? These patients are extremely stressful and difficult to take care of because they are so ill because they're so sick and it's literally you are doing everything in your power and with your knowledge that you know to do and nothing works that to me is one of the more frustrating things when when you are trying to do absolutely every and we do that for every patient you know every patient gets the the absolute best care within our abilities you know, normally, you know, we get appropriate treatment, everything going. And uh, under normal situations, we, we have a lot of people that turn around, they improve, they come off the ventilator, they get well, they do better. COVID is not the, that is not the case with this situation. It is utterly a almost helpless feeling. You know, we, we give all the medications that we have and we know to give. And it's like the patients just keep getting worse and worse. You know, you turn the oxygen up as high as it will go on the ventilator. Their oxygen levels are still low. You really feel like you're pouring your heart and soul 
into it and giving it, you know, 120%. And for the large majority with the patients, when it gets to that point, they, they still don't survive. So it is so just emotionally and clinically challenging and draining just because of the amount of effort, the nurses, the staff, the, the, the other doctors, you know, everybody is putting in. And, and despite that, we, we still have these outcomes. And, and the problem is, too, Ben, the other issue is it, it can be multiple of these a day. It's, it's very hard to lose a patient. We had one particular day within that one day, we had started out the day. And by the end of the day, uh, we had lost at least two. And I think it may have even been a third patient. So, so this time and time again, it is just has been different from other situations. And, and the fact that it's just so constant. Unfortunately, if we have a patient pass away in the ICU, there's another patient there immediately to fill that bed. Um, so it's just this continuous onslaught that, that, that just doesn't stop the waves are beating you down and, and they, and they just keep coming. You know, you don't, you don't get the break. Um, it's just this continual despair. I mean, really. And it's obviously very personal for doctors too, because you said that even though you were vaccinated, you were highly exposed and you fear that you could bring the virus home to your children because they are not old enough to be vaccinated. I wonder could you elaborate on that fear that you have? Like, how do you remain on guard when you're at work while face to face with patients, all while giving them the best possible care and trying all you can to prevent bringing it home to your children? Well, you know, as we, uh, of course, try to be as safe as we can be. Every time we go in these rooms and full personal protective equipment, you know, all that is still standard of, of everything that, that we are doing. You know, when I, when I go in these rooms, I have N95 mask on, um, it's the particular kind of course that we use uh, in these rooms in the hospital, got a protective gown, a, uh, face covering uh, with goggles that I use. And I also have a head covering that's on. We, we change that out going uh, between rooms and, and things like that. But, you know, I mean, I've had times when I've got home and literally I have closed the door to the garage and said, everybody go in your room. And I mean, I've had to take my clothes and put them straight in the laundry room and go straight to the shower. Just, just because you're, you're scared, you know, you're, you're, you're frightened. You want to minimize uh, the risk to anybody else as much as you can we certainly take great strides with, with trying to protect ourselves and, and be as absolutely careful as we can. The, the, the variants, the Delta variant is, is scary to me. Um, and, and I think it, it should be to a lot of people because this is, you know, all the, all the data and everything that we're seeing on this uh, more contagious, more easily uh, spread or what we call transmitted. So, so in other words, it's spreading easily. Um, and it is really making, again, targeting kind of that younger population that doesn't have a lot of comorbidities or the other term we use for that underlying other underlying health issues. So it's, you know, and still 18 months, almost two years into this now, there's still sometimes a, tr- a struggle to get supplies. And that is just, you know, you wouldn't think that and that's unheard of. You know, but at times we're, you know, we're hunting, we'll wear all the face shields, you know, wear the you know, things like that. It's just the, the, the struggle for certain things is, is still there and not necessarily significantly better uh, than it was 18 months ago. But we all try to be as careful as we can. 
Of course, nothing is perfect. Nothing's 100%. But I do fear for my kids. Uh, I have put them in masks to go to school to help protect them the best that we can. But two, I think the best thing we can do for our children is for us that are old enough is for us to get vaccinated because that that, that helps protect them as well uh, that are in your household. And, um, you know, that's something I think that's important. But yeah, yeah, certainly I worry about my kids on a daily basis. I don't, I don't worry about myself as much, and that might sound silly, but I, I, I've gotten so, when this first started, I think we were all absolutely terrified, of course, uh, you know, because it was, you know, I've, I've never been trained how to deal with a pandemic, and none of my colleagues have either. None of us ever thought in our lifetime or medical career that we would be faced with something like this or see, or see this. You know, so yes, certainly there was that fear when we first started out. The more time has gone on, we just, you know, we, we put our PPE on, we, we get in the room, we, we take care of what we need to do to take get the best care of the patient that we can. So that thought is still back there of, yes, you know, I'm at risk and, and I do worry about it. But at the same time, I try to just kind of put it in the back of my mind to, you know, help build so I can focus on my job and take the best care of the patient I can. But yeah, I mean, I would say we're all worried. We'll be right back. You wrote that the entire medical staff is severely hurting and worn out, that you're exhausted and had not recovered from the worst of it before this latest surge in cases and hospitalizations, and the numbers continue to trend in a troubling direction. What do you mean when you say the staff is hurting and worn out? Could you sort of paint a picture so that people understand what y'all are going through? Sure. And, you know, and it's kind of the analogy that I mentioned earlier about, you know, you've got this constant wave of just tragedy and sickness and death that is just continually beating you down. And you feel like you cannot get your head above water before the next round comes, you know, you, you, you have that unfortunate patient that declines, that dies, it doesn't make it that passes away. And right behind it here, here we here, we've got another mid 40 year old coming in from the ER uh, that's on the verge of getting on the ventilator. Right behind it, we've got another one. Our surgery nurses have had to be pulled to our um, surgery recovery area to open up an overflow ICU down there, because like I mentioned to you earlier, both of our ICUs at the Marshall North and Marshall South Hospital are are completely full. So what we've been having to do is open up that unit down there. Well, that takes extra staff. and, And these folks are having to step up, work over to have that particular area covered 24 hours a day. Our staff is, is short. We're, we're, we're short staffed, just like everybody else. And um, that, along with just the emotional part, kind of, you know, what I've been talking about earlier with, with just with these patients, you know, it's not just only the patients. I mean, you, you know, you have somebody young that you've lost, you know, you, you have to take care of and minister to that poor family. The tears, the cries, that just the the wailing, the the despair. I mean, it's just it, it really, really, really takes a toll on, on all of us. Um, so that's the best way I know how to put it. You know, it, it's just a barrage of of, of emotions, uh, which really just gets exhausting. 
you know, you go home at the end of the day and you think, well, I wonder if so-and-so made it through the night or I wonder how they're doing, you know, so, so you bring this home, you go home, you go home and you think about these patients and, um, you know, it's not, it's not something that, that stops at work. You know, a lot of times you have more home, more time to think about it when you get away and have a kind of a quiet moment, really, really, that's kind of the time that I struggle sometimes as well, because, you know, the, the tough week it was kind of kind of Sunday night when I wrote that post that I did, it was, you know, it was kind of just to the point that my breaking point, you know, that I thought I, I just want people to hear from our hearts, from my heart, and, and just kind of what I'm seeing and what, what we're all, I think, feeling. One of our ER doctors that works at North, Dr. Tyler Hughes, I will mention him as well. He, he posted a similar, his, his personal story earlier, and he as well down in the ER has had to put multiple patients on the ventilator. And, you know, he, he shares and talks about trying to uh, FaceTime families and uh, let, let them speak to their loved one just what a challenge that's been. So he had some very good points as well. And um, I think it's nice to just kind of hear from the, from the normal people like, like us. Uh, hopefully that will kind of help the public get, get the inside story of, of the, the, the severity of what's going on, but, but just, you know, how, how much we're all, we're all struggling. Yeah. And you've called the vaccine a powerful weapon saying that while no vaccine is perfect, you have a reduced risk of getting ill to the point where you need hospitalization. And doctors like you, as I mentioned before, have been steadfast in this messaging that the vaccine is safe, it's effective, but so many people remain unconvinced or they're just plain ignoring medical expertise on this. So what do you think it will take to finally convince people to get vaccinated in Alabama? Right. Well, and and one one reason I'm hoping by more of us stepping up and sharing our personal experiences, not so much to come to people with all the science and statistics and, and you know, kind of like we're trying to beat it over their head or shove it down their throat. I think there's been a lot of negativity, unfortunately, about the vaccine and, and it didn't necessarily have to have to be that way. I don't think people like to feel like they are forced to do anything. I almost feel like the the second you try to mandate something or force something, uh, people immediately get resistant to that. I believe it's significantly important. And that's one reason just kind of why sharing some of my personal tragedies that I've, that I've dealt with, I, I would, I hope would kind of help maybe change some minds and help open some people's eyes to, because this is the part I don't think they're seeing. I don't, I don't necessarily think folks are realizing the age of patients we have in the hospital now, that the large majority of them are unvaccinated and that we are, we are rapidly losing patients. And uh, this, if this keeps going in the trajectory that it is uh, with the graphs that I'm looking at, we are headed number wise back to where we were in December and January. And in my opinion, everybody in the medical staff, we've talked about this. In my opinion, this is, this is significantly worse than it was at that time. For, for several reasons, just because patients are getting so much sicker and this this younger group that's being affected. Whereas before, I feel like people kind of maybe had a little bit of false sense of security of, well, you know, I'm young. I don't really have any underlying medical problems. I don't really need to get vaccinated because it's okay. It'll be okay. 
that's not the case now, Ben. Uh, and, and that's the message we're trying to get out there is that I don't want young patients and, and any patient to fall into that false sense of security that because they don't have a lot of issues, they're okay. We, we have had, like, like I shared, you know, with the, with the, the patient that I lost that was uh, in his mid thirties and perfectly healthy. We didn't have any known medical issues with him. And I mean, that, that tore everybody apart this week. I mean, that was just, uh, that's a tragedy. And I know if it's happening in our hospital, it's happening other places. I will admit, I, it, like you alluded to and mentioned earlier, Alabama's vaccination rate is, is very disappointing. You know, I, I hope that we as a state and even as, an, even as a nation will we'll start to work together to improve this uh, because I, I just fear that, that this pandemic is going to continue to uh, go on. And, and I don't like the momentum and the trajectory of where we're seeing things right now. I, I just don't want more people to needlessly continue to die and uh, before it you know, comes to the point to convince people to get this done. The, the, the issue is, you know, people are worried about the side effects or I have I've had, you know, even today I've had multiple patients tell me I'm scared. My response is I look at them and I said, I'm terrified for you not to not to get the vaccine. And I said, let me explain to you why I said, with what we're seeing going on in the hospital right now, I said, if you got covid, I, I fear for you, especially a lot of my patients have lung problems. You know, I don't have very many healthy patients that come into the office. So yes, that does significantly worsen their potential bad outcome as well. Uh, But again, I want to reiterate that that's not all what we're seeing. Now it's more younger people with not as much of that going on. The older people are still at risk too. That risk for them has not changed. It is still very much there. But, you know, the risk of getting COVID, I can confidently say far, 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 and I would say far times a thousand outweigh the small risk of vaccination. As we, you know, as I talked about on my, on my post, every single medication we take, whether it's antibiotic, prescription medication for other various health conditions, herbal supplements, natural supplements, other vaccines, everything has, has a risk of side effects. The COVID vaccine is no different. However, you know, these particular side effects, I can definitely tell you are much greater uh, if you do end up getting COVID. So it's just uh, something I definitely reach out as, as a plea from the bottom of my heart to to the residents of Alabama, to the res- I mean, to the United States, to everybody in every state. You know, let, let's let's do this. You know, let, let's move forward. Let's do what we can to help ourselves and take care of each other. Finally, Dr. Carpenter, I just wonder in your experience before and after sharing your story and describing these frustrations among your medical staff and the stress that this is putting on hospitals and after you've spoken to people, have you found cause for hope in terms of convincing people to get the shot? Do you get the sense the message is getting through to people even just incrementally? You know, I do. I really do. And and I, I really feel like I was at the point I, I needed that encouragement I cannot begin to tell you just the people, the people I don't even know that have personally reached out to me um, with messages saying, hey, we stand by you. We stand by our medical staff. Uh, We encourage you. We're praying for you. We're fighting for you. And just the numerous comments uh, encouraging people to get to get their vaccines. I've had 
I've actually had a few that have reached out to me personally that said, hey, I wanted to talk to you about it. Well, um, I was on the fence. What do you think? And, and that that happened immediately the night after I posted uh, this message. And uh, I, w- I was thrilled, you know, just to open up that that avenue of conversation and maybe to get people thinking about this in a, in a different way. It's not, well, you need to do this because we said so. You know, it's we recommend it, but let me from the bottom of my heart tell you why and what I'm seeing. But I have been completely overwhelmed by just the calls, the text messages, the um, people reaching out through social media. This has gone way beyond what I ever would have imagined or, or thought. It's really been fantastic. And it's been a great opportunity and has really, I think, opened the door for discussion. Dr. Carpenter, thank you so much. Thank you, Ben. It's been a pleasure talking with you. If you or anyone you know is affected by COVID and want to share your story, please email me at bflanagan at al.com. That's B-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N at al.com. For all of our coverage on the pandemic, please visit al.com slash coronavirus. If you have a question about COVID that needs answering, email vaccines at al.com. If you like the show, please rate us and write a review. Thanks for listening.